Howdy. Welcome to this Managing Expectations podcast supplemental. I'm your host, Jeff Winger. I'm by myself, partially because of scheduling conflict and partially just because of uh, internal conflict, but uh, I'm here by myself. Brian uh, is uh, probably at Dave and Buster's with his family as we speak. Um, So I am going to throw the pitches that I want to throw, and I don't have uh, the voice of reason to shake me off. So it's been quite a week, and I'm reminded of... uh, um, There's a famous line about uh, somebody asking a British Prime Minister who had just been elected um, what would mark his administration, and the answer was, events, dear boy, events. So among the week's events, I talked to my old man, and uh, though he can't remember what he was paying for his mortgage payment in the late 70s or early 80s, he could remember uh, Mr. Hoover, who lived down the road from him uh, when he was uh, a boy. Uh, Mr. Hoover had an apple orchard and uh, was a veteran of World War One. So um, this is apropos of nothing other than old men think about their boyhood homes and other people do too. Uh, Country music is rife with uh, longing, a sense of wanting to be back uh, with uh, familiar places and with uh, people you can consider your own. There are uh, uh, also expats and the vanquished who think in these terms. Um, This goes all the way back to the Bible, the uh, uh, ancient Hebrews and Babylonian exile uh, said um, uh, they uh, uh, sat by the rivers of Babylon and wept when they thought of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, In Eastern Europe, uh, during after the Bolshevik Revolution of 1917, uh, there were many displaced people, and they all thought that they would uh, be able to restore uh, that which is lost. Um, we had friends from Poland who, for minority views, uh, had to go to Siberia for a while and they were given two hours to pack and that always stuck with me because you know I well for one thing I wrote I wrote a column once what would you take Um, this is before Hurricane Katrina we started thinking seriously about having a go bag or a bolt bag uh, a bug out bag but if men with guns came to your house and said you've got X amount of time what do you take uh, it was also among these Eastern European expats that uh, during the Cold War, um, uh, the, 
the spy <clears throat> networks of the various countries would uh, uh, m manipulate and massage to uh, gain information on the other side. So um, uh, here in this hemisphere, we think about the Cubans in Florida, uh, displaced by Castro's communist revolution in 1959. Uh, they stewed in Miami and it was from among the uh, expatriate Cubans uh, that the CIA uh, put together a little operation that they eventually called the Bay of Pigs uh, because that's where uh, these Cuban expats uh, landed to retake uh, the island for um, uh, freedom and whatever. Um, uh, they were doing so with uh, U.S. air support. I think um, the CIA was flying airplanes. Anyway, <clears throat> that didn't work out. And uh, in my life, I've uh, met Vietnamese who have longed to see a free Vietnam, though Currently, it is uh, very much a Stalinist state, though uh, it's easier than it's been. And, and you know, I have a fr I have a friend in Hanoi. He married a Vietnamese woman, and he works there. He's a computer guy. He can t speak. He can teach English. And you know, I mean, it's if you're just if you're not actively trying to overthrow the government or otherwise be a pain in the neck. You know, you can go about your life in Hanoi. So some of the provinces are different. And uh, if you think about it, <clears throat> the, whoever the local commissar is probably makes a lot of difference. The same way uh, the manager of uh, <laughs> Sonic drive through makes a difference. You know, one guy could be really sweet and great to work for. And, oh, man, I'd love to get my burger and fries from that guy. Uh, in another town, you could be a real jerk, and you know you'll never go there again. But um, anyway, it's uh, it's kind of like that. Anyway, when I <clears throat> I've said before, uh, I lived in uh, Portland, and I wrote for a newspaper. The newspaper is called the Asian Reporter. It's uh, an English language paper that was pan Asian in that uh, it provided uh, AP stories. Um, that weren't being reported in uh, the uh, provincial uh, city of Portland. And uh, the newspaper staff uh, would uh, uh, cover local events in the Asian community. And uh, by the way, I, I've, I've heard the jokes. Subsequently, uh, Family Guy made a joke about having um, uh, the Asian reporter, uh, an, an Asian woman on the local nightly news. Uh, I, I, I get it, and it's true that in the 90s it did seem like um, uh, a lot of, well, anyway, maybe you get the joke and maybe you don't, but uh, the name of the newspaper was The Asian Reporter, and I wrote a column, and one late April, I wrote about Vietnam's National Day. 
said old soldiers stood in the parking lot and finished their cigarettes. Their granddaughters in bright, clean eyes hurried from out of the cold Portland rain. Inside, beneath the American flag and the yellow and red flag of the Republic of Vietnam, Vietnamese American Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts sold raffle tickets. At Madison High School on April 19, the Vietnamese community of Oregon celebrated their National Day to symbolize, according to the sponsors, the most valuable philosophy and fundamental principles of the people. Proud fathers recorded their children's movements with their video cameras. Patterned after the traditional Founding Father Day, the Emperor Hung Vung, who ruled around a thousand years ago, they intended the day to be meaningful in the struggle of peaceful Vietnamese people against the Viet Cong on many fronts, political, cultural, and psychological. Portland City Commissioner Jim Francesconi read a proclamation from Mayor Vera Katz in which Portland declared its high esteem for its many cultural heritages. The proclamation celebrated the city's ethnic diversity, recognized the significant contributions of the Vietnamese community in fields of business, law, science, medicine, education, and industry, and ultimately, proclaimed Vietnam National Day. The program included speeches by prominent members of the Vietnamese community as well as native song and dance, all conducted in the serious, even solemn, manner of the Vietnamese. On the stage were gong and drum and altar holding incense and fruit offering and symbols of nationalism. Backstage, enthusiastic young people were putting on the show. They rushed to change costumes between numbers, and the master of ceremonies hurried one group off and another group on. They were serious about the show, but having fun. None of the youth seemed intent on overthrowing the current regime in Vietnam. The organizers of this local event state, by celebrating the National Day, Vietnamese people want to reaffirm their resolution to liberate their fatherland, to rebuild a free, independent, peaceful, and prosperous Vietnam. The method of liberation is widely debated. Hung Bui, secretary of the Vietnamese community of Oregon, said that he does not believe that the Viet Q the Americanized Vietnamese who return to Vietnam with dollars will force change. The communists take the money but never liberalize the society. The annual economic growth in Vietnam since 1990 of over 8% comes largely from foreign investment. Still, the group Freedom House rates Vietnam not free. The unrelated Index of Economic Freedom rated Vietnam 146 out of 150. This means that the Communist Party's liberalization of the economy has allowed Vietnam to beat Iraq, Cuba, Laos, and North Korea in economic freedom. 
So today there is much regret about the way things turned out with the war. Many contend that had the Americans won, Vietnam might be well off, as well off as say Thailand or the Philippines. Instead, in the years after Saigon's fall, innumerable people fled through Cambodia and across the South China Sea. The saying was that if they could, even the trees would leave. To their credit, the Americans accepted many Vietnamese refugees and they have thrived. At Madison High School, members of a special forces unit of the Army of the Republic of Vietnam, looking surprisingly fit and ready, wore camouflage uniforms, their black boots polished and their sleeves rolled up, red berets tipped dashingly on their heads. Some other men, looking old and fragile after years in re-education camps, appeared happy to be with their colleagues of like mind. Young people who grew up in America encouraged everyone to sign a form letter and to send it along to sympathetic Congressman Bob Smith, Republican of Oregon. Girl Scouts sold books which earnestly and poetically recalled the fall of South Vietnam, a Vietnam that belonged to their parents but that they never knew. Someone manned a card table with an ice chest and several two-liter bottles of soft drinks selling beverages for a dollar. However, there were not the numerous tables of food so customary at Vietnamese gatherings. It was not a day for goodies. It was a political day, a military day. It was a day for stern remembrance, though sometimes that seems hard to maintain even for the Vietnamese who have suffered so much. Little girls in traditional garb giggled and danced and their proud parents beamed. Many excellent journalists have reported on the corruption of South Vietnam and the harsh conditions for the people under the regime of Diem Ngo Dinh. In spite of American rhetoric at the time, it's safe to say that Diem was not Vietnam's George Washington. It is contended that there was in South Vietnam only a puppet government, half-heartedly supported by the Americans, and that the army of the Republic of Vietnam was ill-prepared to fight. Irrespective, wherever Vietnamese are found, the flag of South Vietnam is pushed to the fore, displaying the powerful hold of nationalism. The former Secretary of the Navy and decorated Vietnam veteran Jim Webb has publicly defended Arvin soldiers, though speaking of how many of, how many of them distinguished themselves in battle. Outside, away from Madison High School and the National Day observance, many Vietnamese went about their normal lives. Along Sandy Boulevard, people ate noodle soup and shopped, benefiting from the work of other people who cooked and sold. They did not seem to be thinking of overthrowing in the future that which their fathers and the U.S. Marines and the Seventh Fleet were unable to hold in the past. They did not seem to be considering the Vietnam from a time before most of them were born. They seemed content enough with their current life their current freedom. 
and above the stores up and down Sandy Boulevard the flags of the Republic of Vietnam fell lifelessly in a cold Portland rain. So that was April of 97, I think. My, the copy that I have doesn't actually have uh, the date on it, but the timing's right, which means that I'm now further removed from writing that than those soldiers were from the fall of Saigon. Um, Saigon fell in 75. I wrote that in 97. That's 22 years, and uh, we're 23, 24, 24 years away uh, from 1997, so ain't that something. I think part of what made me dig that out and what's got me thinking about America and the world uh, is, um, well, I have a couple of old friends from the bookstore and they are fans of this guy named Dennis Johnson and he wrote a book that won the National Book Award a few years ago called Tree of Smoke and it was about the war in Vietnam. I didn't read it because uh, it got a bad review in the Atlantic, and that was it was it was a good review. Um, I just didn't feel like reading it. But talking about this Dennis Johnson uh, with one of the guys, um, he remembered it, and when I remembered out loud an article that I had read in Esquire magazine, that uh, um, said I. I've seen the 20th century hanging from a rope in Kabul. Um, it was the last days of Najibullah, and it was written in 1997 uh, by Dennis Johnson. So Najibullah was the guy who governed Afghanistan uh, from the time the Soviets left. So so the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan in 1979. It was during the Carter administration. Um, Afghanistan in and of itself is just geographically interesting in that it's on the way to someplace else. Uh, this has been its historical curse. Uh, so if you're going to India, if you're going to Iran, if you're going to um, places in the Middle East where there's oil now. So India and Afghanistan, the S South Asia was contested through uh, the 19th century uh, between the British and the Russians. But then in the 20th century, it was uh, under the Brits and then nominally independent I guess and then in 79 uh, the Soviets rolled in with tanks and everybody in the West flipped out because not because they cared about Afghanistan but because 
from Afghanistan, you can get to some places where the West cares a great deal about. Also in 79, um, the revolution that everybody had been expecting in Iran finally happened, only instead of uh, uh, humanist leftists, uh, it went to uh, the uh, uh, Islamic revolutionaries, and you got the reign of uh, Ayatollah Khomeini. So uh, these things having been said, uh, the Russians uh, ran things until um, they left <laughs> in 87. In 87, they uh, installed a guy named Najibullah, and he uh, was, you know, the totalitarian puppet and uh, uh, Dennis Johnson was in Afghanistan when um, the Taliban took over. The Taliban in 1996, which is when these events took place, uh, were the Taliban who would, uh, in due course, shelter um, Al-Qaeda and um, at that point you kind of know the story, you kind of know the history. So Dennis Johnson, 20th century, the 21st century, uh, the Americans uh, overthrew the Taliban in 2003 and the events whatever you think of things I mean different people are gonna blame whoever they're gonna blame but you know who cares about that stuff because you know I don't know there's just a lot of unnecessary suffering isn't there so I was reminded of a quote by Ernest Hemingway uh, he wrote um, in his book Men at War, I have seen much war in my lifetime and I hate it profoundly, but there are worse things than war and all of them come with defeat. Um, this is actually uh, uh, an, oh, what do they call it, an epigram or it's the, the opening quotation in a book by uh, the journalist Robert D. Kaplan, who wrote uh, a book, Soldiers of God, with the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. And uh, this was published in 1990. Uh, it's one of the books that made uh, Kaplan's um, bones. He made his bones with this uh, because he went... Uh, I mean, he grew, he grew a beard and he drew the uh, tribal garb and went into uh, Afghanistan and um, wrote this book afterwards. He's uh, subsequently written many other books and um, uh, they're good. He's good. Uh, he looks at the world through uh, geography and so forth, but... Um, Geography and history are the main things. Uh, geography and history is what um, most of us have. Um, 
some of us get a little more. Anyway, that's it for this Managing, Expe- Managing Expectations podcast supplemental. Uh, until next time, peace and love. <laughs>